0: Hey, welcome to a new episode of Last Call Baseball, number 143. I'm Dorian, and welcome to the hot stove. Did you hear? All-star second baseman Jorge Polanco was traded to the Seattle Mariners. Things are heating up in baseball's offseason, and we're going to break down that trade and the possibilities of the Seattle Mariners making a World Series run. Boring. No, we're not going to do any of that stuff you know i'm not a fan of that hot stove nonsense people talking just to talk about imaginary scenarios imaginary signings imaginary fantasy points stuff why would we talk about non-baseball stuff just pure nonsense when there's actually baseball being played oh and by the way hi how are you because even though it's only been two weeks, I actually feel like it's been like two months. And because there's no Major League Baseball in the winter time, I'm only coming out with episodes every other week. But I'm still watching baseball. And, ladies and gentlemen, the Caribbean series is starting in Miami on Thursday, February 1st. All games will be played at Lone Depot Park. This is going to be so much fun the Caribbean series is basically the champions from every winter league from the countries in the Caribbean. So there's going to be the representative champion from Venezuela, from the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Panama, Curaçao, and Nicaragua. And for any of you who are soccer, football fans, it's an international competition, just like the UEFA champions league. But the UEFA Champions League, it's from the fall to the spring into the summer. The Caribbean Series, is, it's a baseball series. It's condensed into just nine days. So by, maybe by the time you listen to this, this, the whole competition is going to be over. And the first game to start the Caribbean Series 2024 is going to be Nicaragua versus Puerto Rico at 1030 in the morning, Thursday, February 1st. This is March Madness. For baseball fans, for the next nine days, there's going to be games at 10.30, at 3.30, at 8.30 at night, all day for the next nine days. And if any of you followed the World Baseball Classic last year, it's going to be that type of atmosphere. How are you not excited? I hope that you're as excited as I am. Because I know some of you paid $5.99 to watch the Miami Dolphins play absolutely terribly. Against the Kansas City Chiefs in the National Football League wildcard game, and by the way, that Dolphins and Chiefs game was the lowest-rated NFL playoff game this year. They only had twenty. Well, I say only, but they had twenty-three million viewers. The lowest playoff game this year. The second lowest was the Cleveland Browns versus the Houston Texans. And that brought in 29 million viewers, 6 million viewers more than the Dolphins and the Chiefs. It was absurd how NBC was patting themselves on the back saying, this is the largest, most important streaming event in the world, 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 world. I didn't pay $5.99 to Peacock. I didn't watch the game at all. I watched the other free ones. I didn't watch this one. And now you're like, all right, Dorian, maybe, maybe I'll give this competition a shot. Where do I watch this? Because I'm not gonna, I'm not it's not gonna be on Peacock, ladies and gentlemen. You're right, it's not on Peacock, thank God. All the games are gonna be on ESPN Plus, also known as ESPN Ocho or ESPN Deportes. So again, if you're gonna pay five dollars and ninety-nine cents and then forget to cancel your subscription to to Peacock for that terrible football game that the Dolphins played, I think you can afford to watch really fun baseball, real baseball, and not worry about Jorge Polanco or Blake Snell not signing with anyone or all this nonsense, just talking about baseball. Let's Less talking about baseball, more watching about baseball. I love baseball. You love baseball. And our next guest is also a huge fan of baseball. This week, we're joined by our special guest, Representative Justin Wilmoth, member of the Arizona House of Representatives from the 2nd District. Representative Wilmoth, welcome to Last Call Baseball.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm a huge baseball fan, so this might be one of my favorite interviews ever. ever. We'll see how it goes.
0: No pressure, of course, on me.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Representative Wilmoth, who is the best drummer from the 1980s?
1: Wow. Well, I think that begins and ends with, uh, and I don't remember his name, but you've got the one arm drummer from Def Leppard. How do wow. you compete? How do you I, compete?
0: I'm going to tell you. I didn't think you were going to go that way, and I, I, and I and I bring this up because the, the the my 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 crack research team composed of 100 uh, interns tells me that you were in a Phil Collins music video in the 1980s. I I was.
1: It was. I guess it was actually 1990. It was do you, the the name of the song was Do You Remember? It was off his uh, But Seriously remember. album, which I think dropped in 1989. So that's fine but yeah, I, I, my first career was as a, a child actor in Southern California. So, um, you know, I, I did that stuff. I did plays and commercials and I went to a bunch of Dodger games, Dodger stadium as a kid. So that's where I, you know, developed a love for baseball, obviously.
0: So if you're, you're a child, you're a child actor in the late eighties, I'm guessing that you were maybe, I don't know, because Hollywood is a very different place. May were you running around with the, the Brat Pack with uh, Corey Feldman and, uh, what is it, led, led down the, the wrong path by people like Charlie Sheen and maybe Wally Ringwall?
1: Well, I never got uh, famous enough to do that per se, but my mom actually worked for the agency that Corey Feldman's dad ran. So there is a bit of a six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And my mom, uh, she would tell me that I always lost out on parts. And these were before they were famous. Um, but I lost out on parts to like Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin because I was always too tall or just a little bigger than the age group. Because I'm I'm not fat, but I'm not thin, so I'm a little bigger than a, a ten or eleven year old might be. And you know, Toby McGuire is still like five seven, and I'm six two. So I went out on a lot of stuff where I just wasn't the right size for what they're looking for. That happens a lot in Hollywood. So my career is kind of like the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, like almost.
0: No, but I do like the fact that you were saying that some of the, most of the parts you lost were to these well known actors because it's yeah. almost it's a very sports mentality where like if you're if you're in the playoffs, if you, you don't you never want to lose, but if you lose, at least you you can say, Whoever beat me, I want them to win the championship, because then you can say they're the only ones that could beat us.
1: So the one the one time that, that did not happen that I came the closest was and it's the equivalent of like literally going to the Super Bowl and uh when you audition for television shows they have this thing uh, called uh, the producers. So if you go to the producers, it means you're going to like the final four, the Super Bowl, the world series, whatever. It's like you and one or two other people, max. And I remember this part. I don't remember everything because I was 12 years old, probably, but I auditioned for a show that never happened called triangle. It was a Mary Lou Hunter vehicle from taxi and some other stuff. And the plot was, it was a sitcom and it's a, you know, I'm, I'm her only kid and she's uh, the divorced mom moving back to hometown Missouri to start her life over. And it was called Triangle because it's like the high school love interest is like the county sheriff now or whatever. I don't remember all the details, but I auditioned for it. I did well. The, one of the producers really liked me and he kind of guided me along the way. And I got all the way to CBS Television City where they filmed Price is Right and all the other things. And I went into this big boardroom with probably 20 CBS suits. It's like, it just looked like one of those rooms that would never end. And I performed my sides. I did well, I guess. I don't remember. And the show ended up falling apart for a lot of reasons. But Mary Lou wanted one of her friend's kids to get it. And some of the producers wanted me. And I don't remember what happened after that. But as my mom told the story, we had a $7,500 a week contract on the table ready to sign. And so that meant that every episode and this is 1991 or 2 I'm 13 years old 12 like so 13 a 13 episode order times $7500 there's a lot of money you can make in TV right and so that did not happen for a litany of reasons but that's as close as I got to becoming like famous or having a break or whatever you want to call it and that pretty much killed my interest of acting because you're a, you're a 12 13 year old kid and everything is soul crushing when you're 12 years old, you know, the girl doesn't like you, the people make fun of you, whatever. And I got as far as you can get without getting the job. So that's a, that was a tough one for sure. And it it was something that it took me a long time to get over. I didn't even tell some of my friends in high school that I acted as a kid until years into my friendships with them because it was so scarring. So obviously the scars were so long and deep that I decided to run for public office down the road. And that's why I'm doing this, I guess.
0: Maybe I shouldn't have brought up the question of, He's well, the best drummer the, of the '80s.
1: The dangerous thing with me is you never know where I'm going to go with our conversation. So at least they'll hopefully be interesting. But oh, uh, I don't even know where they're going to go. But absolutely, you can go with the drummer from Def Leppard because he lost an arm and then they build an entire new drum set for him, and he just does this and he has like you know like yeah, and, twenty and foot he, pedals
0: and and also the loyalty of his bandmates to be like you know what we're gonna we're gonna yes. we're gonna wait for you to recuperate both mentally physically and we're not going to drop you because you could easily said like hey like whoever heard of a one arm Bicyclist, you know, right.
1: right? I think they waited. i mean, to remember that VH1 behind the music, but I think they waited two years for him to recover and then build out that drum set, and he had to reteach himself how to how to drum. I mean, there's a lot of great drummers from the 80s, but that's that's really tough to top, man.
0: You know, the reason I I wanted you to, to join us is not 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 just because of the great work you've done in the House of Representatives in the great state of Arizona. I've read uh, some bills about semiconductors. Uh, making people's lives easier with gym memberships. We can go into that stuff later if you'd like, but you sir are huge. And I'm looking at your office. You have the old school Arizona diamondbacks banner. And I think that, I think that the logo came out like in 97, 98, that's some retro stuff.
1: So look, man, like you pay attention to baseball, baseball logos. Like, it seems like half the league has red in some fashion. And so, and of course I know you viewers can't see this, but it's the old turquoise and, and gold or turquoise and copper and purple rather and i just love that look because it's unique for arizona it's literally our state colors and our state mining and all of these things and it's not that the red in this uh, uh the sand was bad now i know they're adding in some turquoise which i do like but it's just not as unique as what we had the first decade or so as a franchise so i wish they would go back to it but they're convinced that purple doesn't sell And I'm thinking right across the street is the Phoenix Suns, and there's nobody in Phoenix that has a problem wearing Suns stuff. And by the way, for our viewers at home that are not viewing this, I've also got the throwback pennants of the Phoenix Suns and the Arizona Coyotes. I love those old logos. So I guess I'm just a retro guy.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, actually, when you were talking about the logos and what sells I haven't been that big of a fan of the whole City Connect uniforms that Major League yeah, Baseball yeah. Have, has rolled out over the past few years. Only a couple of teams have done it really well. Some, most teams do it horribly. I'm thinking specifically of the Chicago Cubs and the San Francisco Giants where they yes. try to interpret fog on the jersey. Yes. But I actually, I actually like the Diamondbacks when they had the Serpientes and it was kind of like that uh, sand colored, if you remember, yep. even though there's no purple in that, but I, I did like that.
1: Yeah. And they had the, uh, they incorporated the state flag too. They put it in slightly different colors to match the red and black and sand, but that was a, that was a, a cool little touch. They did to that for sure.
0: Yeah. I like I said, I'm I'm a fan of that Nike city connect earlier. Just a few moments ago, you were talking about losing out parts to, you know, big name players, your Arizona diamondbacks made it to the world series where they just came up a little bit short against the Texas Rangers Tell us your feelings about making a run after what, 20 years of not making, of not going to the world series. And also it's an incredibly young, exciting team. And, you know, what are your hopes for the upcoming 2024 season about in a couple of months?
1: Right. So last year was a surprising year in a lot of ways for the Diamondbacks. They started off pretty well. And then I'll probably fudge the numbers a little bit because it's been six months, but they come out of the all-star break, like two and 14, they pretty much collapsed. And I'm thinking like, well, they're young. This is progression. This is a multi-year building project. Baseball is a tough sport to turn around and win quickly at. And I understand that. I've been watching baseball games for 30 some odd years now. And then I go on a couple of trips because this was an off-cycle, so I didn't have to campaign. And I start paying attention to my app a little bit more. And I'm like, holy hell, they're they're kind of turning it around. And they get super hot into uh late August and September, and then they back into the playoffs and in September, they lose, like, their last four games, and I'm like, okay, I'm just happy we're here. Like, the progression is positive overall, and I'm not a moral victory guy, but with a young ball team, like, there is something to be said for this is making progression. This is a sport without a salary cap. This is a sport where the Yankees and Dodgers can literally buy whatever they want, and it's tough for every other market to compete with that. So I go into that Milwaukee series just thinking, like, hey, we got to go to Milwaukee and win. That's going to be really tough. Milwaukee's sneaky good. And we sweep them. And then we exact decades of anguish against the Dodgers, which, honest to God, we should raise a banner for that with the way that their fans infect our stadium, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 times a year, whatever it is. I think that's very, very... Short of winning the World Series, that was that was even better than winning the uh, National League, I think, honestly, Um, because Dodger fans come into our stadium. They love living in Arizona, but they don't trade their team, which is funny. They hate living in L.A., but they're still Dodgers fans. It's a very big disconnect there. And to be able to sweep them and have four home runs in a row and just like pound them into the ground. And yes, I do claim that we are responsible for two players at a billion dollars. I really believe that was us that had a hand in, in them reacting like they did.
0: Well, didn't the Dodgers? And, wasn't it this year, the twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two, when they clinched the National League West and they celebrated in the the pool? Was it? Wasn't it? This that year? was years or, ago now. That oh, was it wasn't. It ago. wasn't recently. Okay, maybe it, I'm thinking well, about somebody else.
1: The, the scar never dies. I think it was almost seven or eight years ago now. It's been a. It's been a few years and. The, the beautiful thing about my forties is I joke, I say I'm on the young side of old and everything feels like it was 10 years ago. I can tell you about, you know, the San Francisco giants roster with Will Clark in 1989, but I couldn't tell you who was on any team two years ago. So that's, that's just part of getting old, I guess, but that was a big deal for us and to be able to sweep the Dodgers and do those things and embarrass them. Honestly, we ran laps around them. It was fantastic. And then you go to Philly and you're thinking, okay, This has been a great run. It's like the final four run. It's like, okay, we made it to the Elite Eight. We're going to lose to North Carolina. Philly's really good. Bryce Harper, all of that stuff. Philly fans throw batteries, all of those things. And so I just don't want to get swept. And then it looks like, yep, this is it. We got to go to Philly and win two more. There's no way. And that wasn't an indictment on the Diamondbacks. That's just as a baseball fan, the realization of how important home field advantage is against a very good team with very good offense. And so I'm like, ah, force it to seven. That could be fun. You know, a young team that you have under contract for the next three to five years for the key elements. Right. And they ended up winning that series. And so go to the world series and we're losing five to the Rangers. I was at game five. Um, that was sad. Of course, you want to win when you go there, but man, this wasn't supposed to happen this year. And so when you look at it from that angle, if you looked at it from the angle, the Diamondbacks should have been there and they failed. This is what, Yankees fans and Dodger fans deal with is that pressure of expectation. Like, yeah, we just got to the World Series. We lost. That's still a really big deal for any team to do that, to be fair, even with those big money teams. But in the case of the Diamondbacks that were on a multi-year rebuild, and they said that, that we're we're trading Paul Goldschmidt. We're doing all the things. This is going to hurt, but it's going to get better. And now you've got Corbin Carroll leading this cast of really talented, really fast, old school National League baseball types that are going to steal bases and do hit and run. And they're a lot of fun to watch. You told me at the start of the season, we'd go to game five of the world series. I would have said you're high as a kite. So with that as the the frame, I'm elated with how the season went. Am I disappointed they didn't win? Of course, but realistically, and being honest with yourself, they weren't supposed to be there. And so when you put under that prism, it was a very successful season. I'm very happy with the progress. I think that Hazen and everybody is on the right page with building long-term. And... I know the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Braves are going to go out and buy more parts for a brute force kind of attack on on teams like the Diamondbacks that are doing it kind of the old-fashioned way. So will the Diamondbacks be there for the next five or six years? Yeah, I think they'll be in the mix. But now the Giants have been waking up, not the San Francisco Giants, but the Giants in general. They've awakened to the fact that the D-backs are going to be a sneaky team to deal with moving forward. And so they're going to be ready for us, and maybe this year they weren't. So I'm very happy with this season. They obviously can get back. Anything can happen in baseball. It's the one sport where you don't have to be seven feet tall or a block of human muscle to to play the game. And that means anybody in any team can do anything any season. So they're going to be in the mix, but the challenges, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Braves, that's going to be a real thing moving forward. And the Diamondbacks will still have to compete from that disadvantage of not having the, the big bucks and having to do it the old-fashioned way.
0: Yeah, you're saying that Giants have awakened. The San Francisco Giants have certainly not awakened. And it's incredible that they genuinely cannot pay people to join their team. Every free agent. I don't know what it is. I mean, San Francisco, at least the Bay Area, where most of the you know, the 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 rich players would live, nice area. They have a historically important franchise. They have boatloads of money, and they can't. Give this money away. So yeah, so are good giants. They have this is that would be that's a completely that's multiple episodes if you have to talk about them. But yeah, I love that the Arizona Diamondbacks have played and they've taken advantage of the new rules, especially with the bigger bases to encourage stealing. Because I have I was not a fan of the let's say circa twenty eighteen like type of New York Yankees teams, like three true outcomes, strikeout, home run, whatever. And I'm like there's no fun in that because even I, I, I'm a base, obviously I'm a big baseball fan, but I also just love watching good baseball and it drives me crazy when, why don't you add another variable to the pitcher to the, to help what the catcher's thinking when you're trying to see, get, just get your booty on base and make yeah. chaos happen, uh, you know, talking about the Yankees buying players and stuff, but the Yankees are still playing baseball as if it's 2018. They're just a big bunch of plotters with zero. I mean, they they don't have a Corbin Carroll anywhere in their system. Maybe Jason Dominguez, but this is not a Yankees thing. I'm a big right. fan of Corbin Carroll, and he really has lived up to all the hype. I love following minor league baseball, and I kept hearing it, his name on po- on podcasts, and everyone saying this guy, this guy. And when he became, what is it? It almost reminds me of the Atlanta Braves when uh, Ronald Acuna Junior. He was a super hyped up prospect, and when Brian Snit, Snitker changed his lineup to, to put Ronald Cooney Jr. at the top of the lineup, that changed the Braves. And I when I saw what, what the Arizona Diamondbacks did with Corbin Carroll, it said, we're going to put you to the top. You're going to be the tone setter. I, that's when I think Arizona the, the really was able to fulfill. They exceeded their expectations. Let's just say that when Corbin yes. Carroll was given the bat for, uh, uh, to lead off a, every game.
1: Yeah, and he's, um, he's a very special, talented player. He's fast. He's you know, like an old he's school. He's so small. Guy.
0: He, just he like you so he saying, he's so small.
1: Was it like, doesn't matter in baseball, this? man.
0: Yeah.
1: It, it's like Altuve a few years ago with the Astros. Like, this dude should not be a professional player, and he's like five foot nothing, and he's arguably one of the best players of that of that four or five-year stretch that the Astros had, or still having, I guess. But, but Carroll is one of those guys, and he's a throwback to more traditional baseball. And I, I love home runs as much as the next guy. I mean, I remember 1998, you know, McGuire. So, so that was amazing. I was 19 years old. So that was a big deal. I remember the strike in 94 that led to baseball needing to overclock itself into home runs to kind of save the game. And that was awesome. But I got to tell you, I love knowing that the Diamondbacks are a club that can beat you uh smartly through running, through hit and run, through other things. I love a good double just as much as a home run, man. You give me a, you give me a short, left center field double that pops in the uh, Bermuda triangle between shortstop and the outfielders. And it goes to the wall. Like that's amazing. And that's just as exciting to me because there's nothing the defense can do about it. And your guys are running the bases in that moment and a home run. Well, it's over the fence. It's like the, the play's dead. The guy's running home and that's it. But with those bloops or those short pop-ups that bounce in between players, like they've got to get the ball. And until they get the ball, the players are going to keep running and the diamondbacks, they're going to be one of the strongest teams in baseball doing that over the next five to seven years as these guys are are young. And like I said earlier, from my understanding, all under very affordable contracts for multiple years.
0: I hope that the the front office from the Arizona Diamondbacks takes inspiration from a lot of, from now, It's I think it's becoming a trend where teams identify this one person, this one guy, or these two guys are going to be potential all-stars. And let's just but stop this nonsense. Let's offer them a five, seven-year contract, and for super under market. Even though they'll get they'll get overpaid because they're such young men. But in reality, the club has so it gets so much more dividends because they're able to keep an all-star level player under contract for a ridiculous sum of like you know five million dollars a year. Right. As we see, Ronald Cunha Jr. had that happened, uh, but but and a bunch of other players. And so maybe they should just do that with Corbin Carroll.
1: No, I I was going to just agree with you and say, you know, and maybe on the front end that seems expensive or whatever, but if you sign a Corbin Carroll to a seven, I'll just start a seven year extension. And he's at the age he's at now. And he's still a kid. Like you're going to have the prime, even if you can't keep him down the line, you're going to have his best years. And so the diamondbacks should probably overpay a little bit on the young end, knowing that by that year seven, this guy's going to be worth gobs more and maybe he'll stick around because he wants to be Mr. Diamondback. But even if he leaves, the speed's probably going to be going at that time too. So what are you going to lose?
0: Absolutely. I mean, imagine like again, Ronald Acuña Jr. I think he's in line to be earning something like fifteen million dollars this year. An MVP earning fifteen million dollars—that's peanuts. The last thing it, I wanted it's to a, say about yeah the. I remember I love watching highlights on uh, MLB TV for some te- some for some teams or games or I, I love following players like uh, Bobby Witt Jr. with the Royals or obviously Corbin Carroll with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think is it's I think it's when the Atlanta Braves are out in Arizona because obviously the Arizona games are are later. There was a couple of games I watched and I was astounded by the Arizona Diamondbacks outfielders. They have speed to burn. I was like, I, I remember one, play, I don't know who it was, but I think it was against the Braves. And I gasped. I'm like, who in the heck are these guys? They were just unbelievable ball hawks. And I not. I wasn't saying, oh, these guys are going to the World Series. But I was like, those outfielders, whoever the heck they are, are amazing and they make their pitchers look a lot better.
1: They're just, the the speed and the youth on this team. And it, and obviously I think this year we kind of had the coming out party with them. But they really are a throwback to way baseball – I'm not going to say the way baseball should be played. It, there's so many different ways to play the game. But it really is a throwback to old-school teams. You think about – I don't know. I think about the Cardinals in the 80s are so fast on that turf. There's multiple ways to be successful in baseball, and it doesn't just have to be a bunch of uh, home run hitting first baseman. And the Diamondbacks figured it out. And their outfield is legit, very good defensively, very quick, as you said – and uh, they've got some guys that can swing it. And you don't need a guy on the lineup that's hitting 54 home runs a year because you're going to get it done through small ball, moving the ball around a single and then a stolen base and double drives in a run. At the end of the day, guys, like it's still a run. You could still win the game one to nothing and you had zero home runs. So we're kind of in a different era of baseball. And if you know anything about baseball history, obviously there's different eras there's live ball era, the dead ball era, the steroid era, all of those things. And like tree rings on a tree, those are all different forms of baseball, and they're all important. People are like, well, these steroid users shouldn't go to the Hall of Fame. I'm like, well, none of it was illegal. That's baseball's fault. The IOC banned this stuff in the 70s and 80s. So baseball leadership, and this is well before like This is, you know, under, under uh, Faye Vincent and other people before him. They could have gotten rid of this stuff a long time ago. I think we have to just hold up our hands and say this is the steroid wing in McGuire and Clement. All these guys are going in because it's stupid to hold them out. I'm getting off track but the point is is that there's different eras of baseball and we're into an, another era of baseball that we haven't defined yet but I I do hope it's kind of what the Diamondbacks are doing which is entertaining small ball moving around fun fast baseball and I think that showed with uh you know, obviously winning Phoenix is a front running market we're all from somewhere else that's our problem people come here and keep their loyalties And you have to overcome that. And the only way you overcome that is tremendous success. So the Diamondbacks need like five World Series runs to like get these idiots stop being Dodger fans that live in Phoenix, you know. So but I hope that we're in another era of baseball and it'll be interesting to see still see home runs, but see singles matter and stolen bases. I love that the stolen bases back. That is fantastic for the game because it's one of those things like, oh, in this three second span, he's either going to be tagged out or make it. And that's something we hadn't had in 25 years.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir here. I love history. What is Representative Wilmoth's origin story when it comes to baseball? Because as you said, you were a young man, you're almost a super breakout star in L.A. And but to the detriment of maybe you and, uh, you know, your parents' bank accounts. But not, but also but now it's it's for the fortunate people, the good people of the second, rep- the second district of uh, of Arizona. And obviously, you're older than the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Where did where where was what was your original fan base, and then how did you become a Diamondbacks fan?
1: Yeah, so I have a very nomadic past. Uh, people ask me like, "Oh, well, were your parents in the military?" And I joke and I say, "No, they're just a. I'm just a byproduct of their bad life choices as adults." And you know, there's family history. They want to get away from the family farm. I was born on born in Texas, West Texas, Odessa, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my family on both sides has farmland. Uh, and it's the Panhandle of Texas, which is the northernmost part of Texas, but North Texas is Dallas. So be confused. But that area of the uh, uh, land north of Amarillo, I'm in Oklahoma, the thin little part of Oklahoma. So my family has a farming background. My parents didn't really want to deal with that anymore. We moved to California for a lot of reasons. One of them was kind of me to pursue the acting thing. And I played Little League and I loved it. Um, that's how I got into baseball, I was playing Little League. And then we split Dodger season tickets uh, with one of my dad's friends and there was a four-year period where I probably went to goodness 20 or 30 games a year, maybe. And I have a brother and sister. So we kind of split it around and I was never a Dodger fan per se. I was actually pretty obsessed with Will Clark. So I like the giants because when you're a kid, you just glom onto a player and you're a fan of them and you don't really understand the history or anything, but um, I learned to switch it because of Will Clark and I'm a right-handed first baseman up until about high school. And I realized I'm not that good anymore. Um, so I followed Will Clark. I followed Vin Scully listening to games all the time. So there's a lot of Dodger fans annoy me, but like Dodger stadium is beautiful. I love going to games there. Ben Scully was my childhood. Um, I got to see Dennis Martinez of the uh, then Montreal Expos pitch that perfect game. And I believe it was 1991. I was at that game. I have that ticket somewhere in a box. And that was my absolute high point as a baseball fan. Even going to the Diamondbacks World Series this year was awesome. But that will always be number one because Dennis Martinez had the power to get Dodger fans to, one, not leave the stadium in the seventh inning, and two, actually root against the Dodgers to see the perfect game because that's only happened, gosh, 20 times in history or something. Maybe it's a little bit more, but I'm throwing out numbers. But Southern California baseball is basically the answer to your question. Parents get divorced, moved around. I uh, lived in Colorado for one year and then Oklahoma City for 20. And going back to history, uh, Oklahoma historically was a Cardinals state. That's before the Royals and Rangers got there in the 60s and 70s. So Oklahoma now is this amalgam of Cardinals fans, Royals fans, and Rangers fans mainly. And I am still a National League snob, even though the game is kind of the same on both ends now. And I pulled out a map when we moved to Oklahoma City because that was not my part of the state. My family's way northwest. And I realized that the Cardinals were the closest National League team. And I was like, okay, I'm a Cardinals fan. And so for 20 years, I rooted for the Cardinals. And I jumped on that in 1995, right before they exploded. I did it on geography alone because the Cox, uh, Cox Channel 3 would air Rangers games and Cardinals games. And so I got to see Cardinals games because we were in their territory for the TV rights. So I was a huge Cardinals fan for the Pujols Sarah, Scott Rowland, Carpenter, all of those guys, and I still have an affinity for the Cardinals. It's like the Cardinals are like, you know, that gal you had a good relationship with, and it just didn't lead to marriage, but you're still a fan, and you still talk to him from time to time. Like, when I moved here in 2015, I loved Arizona. I went through a divorce myself. I wanted to move somewhere for myself. I Oklahoma City is fine town, but I just wasn't for me at that point. And I grew up out West, and I said, well, where can I live where I can still be a Republican and enjoy the West? And it was Phoenix because – California is a hellscape for for my side. And I just said, you know, this is ridiculous. The Cardinals are great. They didn't do anything wrong. They win World Series. Like, it's stupid for me to walk away from this team. But there's something about Phoenix for me that means so much that I just said, I'm going to cheer for the local guys that are literally 22 miles from my apartment. That's how I became a Diamondbacks fan. I basically just said, you know, I moved here. I knew like five people. I had no job the first five months I was here. I went to school. I got a, a job at the Arizona House. Being a policy advisor, that was a staff position, and now I'm a member. But I basically just became a Diamondbacks fan because they were an NL team in a place that I wanted to live. And so I got to see Goldschmidt. I got to see some other cool players. I got to see that great wild card game in person in 2017 with the Rockies when Archie Griffin, or Archie Griffin – I'm sorry, Archie Bradley. Archie Griffin won the Heisman Trophy at Ohio State. Archie Bradley hit that triple. I had never heard that stadium that loud. It was ridiculously awesome to see that event. And of course, then the Dodgers beat us in the next round, which we've already went over. But so the answer, as long as possible as I can make it, is that I moved here and I just love Arizona. And I said I'm going to be a local guy. I don't want to be that guy that's a Phillies fan that lives in Phoenix or a Dodgers fan or whatever. I could have stayed a Cardinals fan. There's a lot of Missouri people here, but like there's a two-hour time difference most of the year. I can go to games here for 25 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever it is. I said, you know, I'm just gonna do this because I didn't have any animus toward the diamondbacks. Like if I had moved to Philadelphia for work or something, like, well, I could never be a fan of any of those teams. Um, and you know, I'm sure the people listening from Philadelphia will hate me now, but they throw batteries at Santa Claus, so whatever. Um
0: they do have good food in Philadelphia, though. I, they, even, they I, do. I love, they do I love the city of Philadelphia. Not their sports. I'll have teams, to sneak but... in.
1: I'll have to sneak in. But um the point is is that I just decided uh, this is home for me. This is the move that is for me. And I just became a Diamondbacks fan and it's been fun cheering for a local team as an adult in a place where you literally chose to live. And it wasn't like, well, I I grew up here because of my parents and I'm just going to stay here. And so there's a lot to it and it's not just baseball, but I don't regret it. And yeah, the Cardinals are traditionally better and I don't mind it when they do well, but I'm a D-backs fan now. And, you know, that's kind of cool because when we are successful, there's not a lot of us and you know, the people that are fakers.
0: And I know, again, you can't see this, but you're also, it seems to me, you're also a big fan of Arizona State because I, I see the Sun Devil logo. You have some football helmets there above your yes. your your cabinets. Yes. And the crack interns here are telling me that you're also uh, doing a master's degree or already finished potentially at Arizona State in uh, global politics. Are you going to write your de- uh, thesis on baseball as American foreign policy?
1: Ooh. That's a hell of an idea. Um, so I went, everything about my life is the non-traditional road. You know, you you graduate high school, you go to college, you get done at 22, you get married, you have a kid at 25, you settle into your mortgage and your cubicle, and that's what you do for the next 40 years.
0: This sounds like was, the Fight Club film.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm the guy that took the, load re- the road less traveled consistently. I washed out of Oklahoma State. I worked odd jobs. I worked at a TV station, got fired from there for trading shifts. I helped one of my friends run for office in Oklahoma, and that's how I got into political staffing and campaign stuff, and I didn't finish school for a long time, and so I got my undergrad through ASU's online program when I lived in Oklahoma City, and that was because I had a good job at the state capitol writing speeches and press releases for the Republicans at the Oklahoma House there, and that kind of began my interest in my love affair with Arizona, really, in earnest was doing that through ASU because in my mind it was like, well, okay, it's online. Sure. But they're a good school. I grew up in the PAC 10 area, you know, PAC USC, UCLA games, the Rose bowl was 10 miles from my house. All of that.
0: Also known as the PAC two now.
1: USC killed the conference, but that's an entirely different podcast. So I basically just uh, said, okay, ASU you make sense in my head because I grew up out West and having that on my wall does not sound weird because I was looking at Penn State, Florida, Oregon State, places that I've not been to or been to ever. And it was ASU. And that led me here for a lot of reasons as I went over and finished my undergrad in 2013. So I was like 33 years old. And then I said, I never want education to ever be a reason I don't get another job. And so I finished a master of public administration in 2019. And the degree you're talking about, because I'm absolutely insane and a glutton for punishment is a Master of Arts in Global Security, which is that foreign policy, uh, international affairs. So I've always had two big loves in life, and that was baseball and politics and like geo-governance. And I tell people all the time that when I was 12, 13 years old, I'd come home from school and my little 13-inch TV set, I would watch Crossfire on CNN and then ESPN Sports Center. That is literally my entire life are those two things. And there's a lot of similarities in sports and politics very much like football or basketball going for the rebound and throwing the elbows. But um, sports is politics and politics is sports. And they lend uh, a lot to each other. And through being involved with sports, playing sports, liking sports, you learn a lot about a lot of things. And it actually lends itself to doing what I do now, crazily enough. And so uh, this December I will have that other degree finished. And then I'll have three degrees from ASU, two of them master's, your listeners can call me crazy if they want, and I would probably agree with them because now I'm overeducated, but I went through a significant part of my young adulthood without a degree, not getting things that I felt I should have got because I had the experience, but you have to jump jump through certain hoops.
0: The only downside of having three degrees from the same school is that then the alumni office is going to expect three times the amount of, do- of yearly donation.
1: Well, uh, they know better than to do that right now because this wonderful legislators only make $24,000 a year. So you can further question my sanity knowing that.
0: Now that you're a big shot in Arizona, obviously, <laughs> with the House, at least in the House of Representatives. But if we were to take you away from the good people of the second district and say, Representative Wilmoth, you are now general manager, Justin Wilmoth, of the mighty defending National League champions, Arizona Diamondbacks. What's one or two things you would do? And remember, you have the power of a general manager. It doesn't have to be firing a coach signing. It could be anything you want to shape the future of the Arizona Diamondbacks.
1: And I have a I have a, a big, a big city budget.
0: You can have anything you want. We are in fantasy world here.
1: I I love fantasy land. It's my favorite land. Um, well, that's a good one. Like, so I, I spent a lot of time earlier talking about how I think they're on the right track. And and I do believe that baseball is a sport where teams can get rewarded for a four, five, six, whatever year rebuild. And look, you know, the Astros got a lot of junk for the cheating scandal stuff, and I'm not going to touch that. But lost in all of that was the fact that they went down to the screws and they rebuilt their franchise from the ground up, and it's paying off big time. They've been like, what, in the last seven ALCSs or some junk like that? So I would stay on the path that the Diamondbacks are on now and that they've been on. And look, if there's an opportunity for like, a big name first baseman or a a big name that you can get to mix into it that wouldn't mess up the chemistry. I would be all about that. But in baseball is one of those sports where that chemistry does matter. And you don't want the team that you have been building for a few years to feel like, well, what, we're not good enough. Now you had to go out and get a Barry Bonds, for an example, like a big name like that. Um, It would have to be something that made sense and, and fit a need. And probably where that would be is not so much on the offensive side, but pitching. The Achilles heel for us this last year was the bullpen, and it cost us the series with the Rangers. That game I went to, the D-backs were in that game. They had multiple opportunities to win that game, and they did not take advantage. And then our pitching ran out of gas. The starters ran out, and then we went to the bullpen, and we instantly gave up the lead. Like, it was over when we went to the bullpen, almost exclusively. If we could have had I and I forget who was pitching that night— You'll have to, I'll have to look and check, but like if he could have gone another inning or two, we we might've won that game and stayed in the series. So I would beef up situational uh, relievers and I would look for an ace. I think we've got a couple of really good near aces, but I think that you can do a little bit better. And that would probably be what I would over-invest in at this point is a proven starter. And we've tried to do that with Granky and with Bumgardner, but they're on the backside, they're injured, whatever it is. So we've tried that in the past when the team was not very good. If you do that now with the lineup that the Diamondbacks have, that could be enough. So I would keep my eye out for that right pitcher that is the right combination of price and success that a team like the Diamondbacks can can reel in. And then I think you're in the situation with that youth and those contracts that are locked up for multiple years to where they can be consistently uh, successful moving forward. So that's what I would focus on is pitching.
0: Yeah, as as a as the self anointed senior consultant to the to general manager Wilmot. That's exactly what I was going to say that the Diamondbacks need pitching help. They don't need pitching prospects. They need Im- like impact.
1: Immediately.
0: Yes. I- immediately, because yeah, you put you put two number two starters on that staff, sky's the limit for this 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 ball right club.
1: Right now we really have two starters. That's just the honest to God truth. And and that 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 hurt us at certain points of the year. And those guys are really good, but if you could get another ace and then like get a you know a, a a solid b-level guy then all of a sudden you've got four quality starters and i think that's the big thing. and then the bullpen obviously you can never have enough good uh bullpen pitching i tell my friends with kids all the time raise them to be a mediocre left-handed relief pitcher because he will be your retirement fund he doesn't have to be good as long as he can pitch left-handed and uh, in another world i wish i could go back in time and become a left-handed pitcher because you'll get overpaid
0: and the left-handed relief pitchers get paid a little bit more than $7,500 a week, which would, uh, you said you're like, you know, so.
1: 100%. Exactly. Yeah. A series of bad life choices. Like I said earlier, it's
0: fine. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> you have an exciting origin story as uh, these kids would say with the Marvel and uh, the, the yes, DC yes. comics and stuff. Uh, Representative <laughs> Wilbert, I, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we let you go, we want to know. When we go watch the Arizona Diamondbacks, or to go see an ASU football game, or, or just to enjoy all the loveliness that has Phoenix has, especially during spring training, what's your go-to local places when it comes to food, coffee, a drink in the Phoenix area?
1: Yeah, there's. A, I'll have a couple of answers. One is uh, it's a local chain. They're called Zips, or they're basic sports bars. So if you come in for spring training and you want to just go to a place where the beer is pretty affordable and the food is greasy but good. Uh, You go to a place called Zips, there's a dozen or so locations across the valley from Surprise down to Mesa. So if you're coming to any of the ballparks, you can look at it on your phone and you'll be able to find a spot. And they're family friendly and they're sports friendly and they'll have games on. So if you go to see the Rangers in Surprise, they may have the spring training game on later that night with the Diamondbacks, for example. So that's a great like casual hangout spot. Um, There's some good like hidden gems within Uh, The Phoenix area that's like downtown, there's this place called Rough Rider. And this is a restaurant and it's kind of a nice date night restaurant, but it's called Rough Rider because it's themed on Teddy Roosevelt. And it's kind of a speakeasy setup. You'll go to this corner that this restaurant's on. It's the corner of uh, Central and Roosevelt downtown. And there's this like six story glass office building. And you're like, this isn't where it's at. Where's this restaurant? Well, you go in. You go down to the basement and the entire basement is this restaurant, right? And it opens up and everything's rustic and cowboy and that Rough Rider uh, Roosevelt style from, you know, the Spanish-American War and all of that. Um, that's a really good spot. They have great old fashions and you can get a good steak. So if you want to come to Phoenix and spend a little bit, that's a great like hidden secret. That's like a really good restaurant. Probably not for the spring training folks, but um, if you want to come down for a night and have a really good dinner, that's a great spot. And then there's... Some great drinking places along the way that are around the ballpark. Uh, Marley's is another uh, local place. It's a sports bar too. Dan Marley, the basketball player for the Suns back in the day. That's his establishment. It's and another the Miami Heat. Sports And bar. he was
0: also Miami Heat icon, by the way.
1: That's right. So he's an icon in two markets and uh, he's got several of those locations. But if you ever come to a Diamondbacks game, that is only three blocks away from the stadium. So that's another good pr- spot to pregame before a game. If you're here for a regular season. Um, so those would be the places I would tell the uh, spring training crowds to probably go check out. But if you want something totally unique, you go to Rough Rider because it's kind of a speakeasy. You kind of got to look for it. Yeah, it's a little pricey, but the drinks are good and the steaks are great.
0: I'm all about that because what you can do is Teddy Roosevelt also wrote a lot. You could read his books, his pamphlets while having a nice drink. Big yep. fan. Everyone, I think everyone's a big fan of Teddy Roosevelt.
1: Well, he was a gigantic sports fan too. I mean, he basically saved the NFL football exactly because of the uh, the safety issues. Like people don't realize that if it wasn't for Roosevelt, I don't know if we have American football. It's it's a big deal.
0: I, you know, I've been to fl- the spring trainings in Florida. I've been wanting to go to the spring training is in Arizona because everyone tells me it's so much better and so much easier because in Florida it's in Dunedin. It's yes. in West Palm Beach. It's yes. in uh uh where is the Detroit Tigers uh, Lakeland Florida? I mean it is all You got all Jupiter over the for the place.
1: Cardinals. You got Bradenton. You've got all these areas yeah. and they're all It's it's so, it's so spread out.
0: It's so spread out. And Arizona apparently like within 30 minutes you can see all the teams more or, or less.
1: With traffic it can be more like an hour, but if if your fans, if your listeners pull out a map and they think of where Ho-Ho Cam Park is at in Mesa, which is the Oakland Athletics Vegas Athletics now, I guess, whatever. That is the easternmost spring training site. And the northwesternmost is the surprise facility, which the Royals and Rangers share. That is probably about a 45-mile drive. So in typical Phoenix traffic, it'll be almost an hour or more, depending on the time of day. But the best thing that we have over Florida, besides the fact it doesn't rain every afternoon at 4.30 and kill your game, for the record, like the weather is better for sure. But secondly, you could theoretically go to two games, do a day-night doubleheader at two different facilities because all 10 facilities are in that 45-mile circle I was just talking about, and it's beautiful. Um, So I've been out here, obviously, about nine years now, and I developed this thing called the Cactus Slam, which is what I called when I first did all 10 stadiums and saw all 15 teams in one spring training, so i made it a point to see a game at all 10 of the stadiums between some combination of 15 teams some teams i might have seen once or twice or three times but i saw all all 15 at least once and i saw a game at every park at least once and that takes some doing it It took me most of spring training to do it but and i would sit with a calendar and i would circle the games i was going to try to catch and so i pulled that off but if you guys come out for spring training You come out for a Saturday game, you can go to a one o'clock game in Goodyear and you can go to a seven o'clock game at Camelback Ranch 10 miles up the road. You can't do that in Florida, period. And they'll never be able to do that because of how spring training is set up there. Here it's consolidated. We used to be in Yuma. We used to be in Tucson. People don't know this. The Cubs actually started spring training in Catalina Island in California back in the 40s or before the 40s, mid 40s. Uh, They've been in Arizona now since 47 or 49 or 50, I'm probably mismatching that a little bit, but spring training in Arizona almost died about 25 years ago. You were down to like six teams. You had a team out in Yuma. You had a couple in Tucson. You had a couple in Phoenix. And then our cities and our governments started inducing unhappy franchises in Florida. And we built these mega facilities that two teams share. So we've got 15 teams, but only 10 facilities. And that's because five of the teams have their own facilities. The other 10 share those other five facilities. And so in the case of a surprise stadium or Goodyear or Camelback Ranch or Talking Stick, which is where the Rockies and Diamondbacks train for 35-ish days, they have a game at those parks every single day. So the Diamondbacks play on Monday, the Rockies will play there on Tuesday. The Diamondbacks will play there on Wednesday. They alternate. This happens at all of those stadiums I was just talking about. So if you want to see the Rangers One day, and you want to see the Royals the next, you can stay in surprise and do that. So we have an inherent advantage over Florida. Weather, of course, we don't have the bugs like they do. We have scorpions, but they're not flying around you. And then you have the ability to see multiple games in the same day, which I have done because I am that kind of baseball lunatic. So that's the best thing we have. Cactus League is amazing. And it's in March right before the weather really starts to get hot. It's about 73 degrees little chilly in the morning, bring a pullover, light jacket, and by lunch that's off and you're ready to go to the ball game. And again, you can, I've done this, like I call it the uh, StubHub rodeo where I'm just like, where's the $8 ticket today? And I'm like, I'm free at one o'clock. What game am I going to? And if you're open to seeing teams you don't care about, like the Mariners and Brewers, well, you can see the Mariners and Brewers for $8 or $15 and get a great ball game and a great afternoon at the ballpark, as long as you're not married to seeing a certain team. So I actually don't go to a ton of Diamondback uh, spring training games because I can find bargains going to, going to Peoria to see the uh, Mariners or Padres, for example. So it's really cool to see all of that. And again, I can be home in 20 minutes. That's awesome.
0: Representative Wilmett, your baseball stump speech has sold me. You have my baseball (laughs) vote. So there you go. You have one baseball vote here commissioner is next baby. <laughs> exactly. I want to thank you for joining us. Let us know where we can find you, whether you want to share anything on social media, website, whatever you want.
1: Yeah. So it's pretty easy. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is all at Justin Wilmoth, A-Z. So it's J-U-S-T-I-N-W-I-L-M-E-T-H-A-Z. And, uh, feel free to harass me or ask me baseball questions or whatever. Cause, I. Uh, I'm a baseball tourist. I've seen 15 of the major league parks. I added Toronto and Tropicana field this past summer. So uh, I'm on a mission to see all 30. And of course they're going to keep changing. So it's going to be a never ending thing, but I love baseball and it's been an honor to be on this. And I will come back anytime you want.
0: It was a lot of fun talking to representative Wilmoth. By the way, the crack last call baseball research team who all returned from their seven week holiday told me that Rick Allen is the one-armed drummer from Def Leppard. I knew I knew it, but I didn't know it during the conversation with Representative Wilmoth. And lastly, I also didn't realize, and the crack last call baseball research team told me, that Corbin Carroll, the young Arizona Diamondback stud, already signed a massive extension. He signed an 11-year, 11-year, $111 million contract back in March of 2023 (laughs) that I can't believe that that was all on me so yeah so the Diamondbacks did something smart by signing Carroll to a very long contract so congratulations to Corbin Carroll and congratulations to the Arizona Diamondbacks for having that beautiful union for at least for the next 11 years hopefully I may not have remembered Rick Allen's name or that Corbin Carroll already has a humongous contract but I do know what I've been drinking while I was thinking about this podcast, being excited about the Caribbean series. What I have in my hand is called Mead and My Crew. Not C-R-E-W, but Mead and My Crew, C-R-U. It's a grand crew from a good American local brewery called Full Distance Brewing in Stafford, Virginia. So cheers to you and your crew or whoever you're going to watch the Caribbean series with, we might meet again sooner than two weeks. But nevertheless, thanks for listening to Last Call Baseball. Be great and get home safe.